Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, primary and secondary emotions. Let's say that your friend scares you, and I'm talking a big scare. You immediately react with fear because you're human. But what comes next? What's that secondary emotion? Is it anger? Is it embarrassment? We're going to talk about how to tap into those primary emotions, and doing so is going to keep you far more present, which leads to a much more fulfilling life. That and more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody, I'll make this one quick. Now, as a therapist myself, of course, I recommend that everybody give therapy a try. Truly, we're all hanging on to some things that would be helpful to process, or there's things in our life that we might, uh, maybe we thought we'd achieve by now, or there's things that we desperately want to achieve so that we won't live a life full of regrets. Or there are people listening right now who may be noticing that their anxiety or their depression is getting a tiny bit more, let's call it amplified, the longer that it's left untreated. You owe it to yourself or those around you, to your spouse, your kids, and actually, I guess, really the most important person is you to at the very least give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit, if you're worried about bumping into somebody in a therapy waiting room, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, all one word, and take a look at the world of online therapy. Go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before you and uh, sign up right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll get the help that you need. You'll get 10% off your first month services. They have a broad range of expertise and their counselor network, which might not be locally available in many areas. The service is available wherever you live. It's worldwide and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You can get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Although I maintain that my waiting room is very nice and comfortable. Betterhelp.com will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And they have therapists that, that specialize in everything, all kinds of things, OCD, anxiety, depression. They use modalities such as acceptance and commitment therapy, my favorite. And you can start communicating typically in under 24 hours. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Nothing awkward about that whatsoever. So uh, if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, again, you'll receive 10% off your first month services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself. And at the very least, just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now. Go do it. I'm not going anywhere. Um, Now let's get to the show. Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that's helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And very quickly on the book, today, it is Monday, January 20th, um, which is actually my dad's birthday, so happy birthday, dad. But uh, it is, um, the, the, the ebook is now out and the, the Kindle version, and it's, it's uh, more affordable, it's less expensive, I guess those are the same things, but uh, let me just be straight up and honest, we've been a bestseller, which has just been, has blown me away, stayed at number one in this uh, sexual health and recovery category on Amazon for five, six weeks, however long it's been, um, that we're actually going with a hard cover version now as well that libraries and some things want. So the whole the whole process has been just uh, thrilling and exciting. And the feedback that we get has been pretty incredible for people that it's helping and all that good stuff. But the bottom line is a lot of people don't want to have a book laying around on their coffee table. I don't know if uh, that's where books lie or even in the bathroom, wherever they put it, that says he's a porn addict. Now what? I, I've known that. And so I, I can't even tell you how many people have wanted the, the Kindle version or the ebook. And so there were some snags and little bits of things that held that up a little bit, but it's out. So if you have, if, if you're interested, I mean, I, I really do. I know that it's my book and it's still hard for me to promote it, but go check it out because there's so much good information in there. Again, I answer a lot of questions about 
pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior, betrayal trauma from the side of the therapist, the expert from working with 11, 12, 1300 men that I've worked with over the years and uh, former addict Joshua Shea, who has also written another book about his pornography addiction. He answers the questions from the addict side and it's very, very real and raw. And we didn't, we had these questions, we answered and we had no idea what the other person was saying. And uh, it's really been fascinating, even just for me to read what Josh's answers were. So it's available on the Kindle version. So go to Amazon or look for the link in the show notes and look for that, buy that today. That would uh, be wonderful. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram and the Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page on Facebook, or there's a Virtual Couch page on Facebook that I'm not giving enough love. And I would also love if you went to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for the email newsletter, kind of starting to beef that up. And there's just, there's so much happening in 2020. So I would love it if I could kind of keep you up to date on that. And uh, I don't sell your address or any of that stuff. Heck, I barely even write to it. So, um, and I'll very quickly, these next two things, I'll be in Salt Lake City this weekend, Saturday, January 25th. And I realize that people listen to podcasts, uh, back catalogs of podcasts. So you might not even be hearing this the week of January 20th. But if you are, January 25th, if you're in Salt Lake, um, I'm, and if you're hearing it after the fact, I'm sure I had an amazing time in Salt Lake. But I'm going to be speaking at the Outlier Podcast Festival on Saturday, January 25th on the subject of imposter syndrome and podcasting. So if you're a current podcaster, if you want to start a podcast, the Outlier Podcast Festival is a two-day event full of amazing workshops and seminars and panels and speakers to help you get your podcast going or better your podcasting skills. And you can find out more info at outlierpodfest.com. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. And you can use the code OUTLIER, O-U-T-L-I-E-R, if you're interested in attending the podcast festival and you get 15% off your ticket. And very, very quickly, I will be speaking in the Midvale North Stake on Sunday evening, January 26th in Midvale, Utah. And this is a topic I am so excited to talk about. My talk is titled, Hang In There, You're Doing Better Than You Think, because you really are. That you really are isn't actually part of the topic, but it's Hang In There, You're Doing Better Than You Think. Talk is free. And the address is 97th West, 75th, 100 South in Midvale, Utah. Okay, I will take a breath. I will slow down. Because now, today's topic is one that I have been meaning to talk about, honestly, for probably over a year. It's a fairly fundamental concept in therapy, and it's one that I believe can really help you just start to recognize your emotions and recognize how your body responds in situations, and then how your body even responds to the response. And that's going to make sense, I promise. And that is the part that is fascinating. Today, we're talking about primary and secondary emotions. And, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I used to teach a lot more, I used to just kind of ask certain questions out to the, whoever I'm teaching, whatever the audience is, of just when I, say, when I say primary, when I say primary emotions, what thought comes to mind? And it's fun just to see that sometimes we're on the same page and it can be completely different uh, things. Primary, I, every time I say that word, I sing some song in my head about primary colors. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how the rest of the song goes. I'm not quite sure what the primary colors are, red, yellow, and blue or something like that. But, uh, but today we're talking about primary and secondary emotions. So let me, let me just kind of give you an example. And uh, we've got so much to talk about today. So somebody comes up behind you and scares you. And I'm talking bad. I'm talking you drop your phone on the ground, uh, maybe utter a phrase that would get this podcast episode uh, perhaps an explicit rating. But, but they get you good. I mean, they really scare you. So what is that first emotion? It's fear, right? Fear just overtakes us and, and it... And it makes sense that you would be scared because you're human and we're wired to be jumpy when we're scared. As a matter of fact, being scared, if you're scared to that level, you've, you've bypassed this, uh, you know, this visceral response. You've, uh, you've made it past that, those emotions that are kind of guarding the rest of your brain. And so then immediately here comes the adrenaline, the fight or flight chemicals. So again, when you're scared, um, you are going to feel that fear, that fight or flight response. But then what happens next? Are you fully present in the moment? Do you then see your friend or friends laughing? And can you tap right into that moment and laugh as well? Or the more common response, all of a sudden you get angry. You know, does it knock it off you guys? That wasn't even very funny. You almost made me drop my phone. I could have cracked the screen. You made me swear around an old lady or whatever the response is. But the fear response is considered your primary emotion. That's the immediate response. And then the anger sets in or the embarrassment there's a good one that comes along with fear often too. Embarrassment. Those are your secondary emotions. So why is this an important topic? Because there's so much power in being able to feel and having emotions as part of what makes us human. And when we can truly understand what our emotions are or where they come from, 
then we can learn to sit with them a little bit longer. Because here's the key, and this is this is very important. Running away from emotions or, or wanting a be, you know, trying to find a better time to deal with our emotions is what keeps us in the state of not being able to deal with them in the first place. And that's what leads us away from being present in that present moment. Um, so, so, and I hope that kind of makes sense. So you're going to have emotions because you're human, but oftentimes we, we then we stuff those emotions. We run away from those emotions. We cover those emotions up with a secondary emotion like anger. So we never really deal with what that primary emotion is and, and being able to tap into that primary emotion, being able to sit with that primary emotion, it, it does a couple of things. Number one, it leads to a much more fulfilling or rewarding life. If you get scared and you can sit there and be present with that, that emotion of fear, you know, those are the people that really do like to go to, I don't know, haunted houses or scary movies or that sort of thing. Because they don't, that secondary emotion of embarrassment or that secondary emotion of anger, even if it, if it starts to creep in, they're aware. They're able to, to, to kind of move that one aside and just be fully present in that moment. Be scared in the movie. Be scared at the haunted house. Or then immediately laugh with a friend who tried to scare them. And, and again, boy, as I say this too, there are certain people that are, they're, they're maybe wired a little different and they don't, they don't like to be scared. They don't want to be scared. So I'm not saying that if you can't be scared, if you don't like scary movies, then something's wrong with you. Quite the contrary. Matter of fact, tip of the hat to if you ever listen to the episode that I did on highly sensitive person, HSP, also known as sensory processing sensitivity. So there's someone who has these heightened, what we call mirror neurons, and those are people that they don't want to be scared at all. So it's not about tapping into a secondary emotion. Those are people that just don't want to be scared. And, and those people, hey, you're okay too. But in this example, um, just trying to talk about recognizing what that primary emotion is and then what that secondary emotion is that comes over to cover it up. Uh, let me give you another example. Somebody close to you passes away. You might feel an emotion of sadness, and that is a wonderful primary emotion. Just allowing yourself to feel sad. If you need to cry, you cry. If you want to look at pictures of the person or videos and, and be in that moment of sadness, it can be incredibly therapeutic. That is this concept of processing the emotion, staying with the emotion. But what often happens is that we feel the emotion of sadness, which you know is, this, uh, is a primary emotion. And then we immediately feel embarrassed. Maybe growing up, we were told that you know, men don't cry or that crying doesn't get you anywhere. So, you know, we not only feel the sadness, which again, primary emotion, it's human, it's a wonderful emotion, but now it's covered up with embarrassment. And then embarrassment can quickly lead to anger because anger is one of those emotions that we use to try and take control of the situation. So rather than allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable and sad and in that moment, then we often find ourselves being angry because that's an emotion that we we feel like we can take control of. And, and oftentimes it just feels really scary to kind of not have control of a, of a situation or not have control of a moment or not have control of an emotional response. Man, there's so many of these. If your teenager comes down wearing something that you feel like is, I don't know, um, uh, inappropriate you to you, inappropriate, you may have an immediate reaction of embarrassment and you somehow feel that what they're wearing is a reflection of you. And instead of something that they are feeling, perhaps they're feeling judged in their peer group, perhaps they're feeling like they're not enough. So they're going to try and push your buttons and get a reaction so that they can feel justified and pulling further away from you or being angry toward you and, and more toward a group of friends that they are sure you won't approve of. So you see them and you feel embarrassment. Maybe there's a primary emotion. And then you quickly respond with anger. Here comes the secondary emotion. Go back upstairs right now. You know, change your clothes. Being able to tap into your emotional state can be incredibly helpful for staying in the present moment. In that regard, if you're one of your core values is to you know be kind or be compassionate or or be a loving parent, then those those secondary emotions often come in and sabotage. So you might have this this goal, this value of being there, being present for your teenager, for example. And so then they come down again wearing something that you feel like, uh, wait a minute, I've taught them better. Or, you know, I feel. I feel like that's not something they should be doing. And so then you have this immediate primary emotion of, again, sadness or uh, whatever that is. And then immediately the anger kicks in. This, this secondary emotion takes control. Uh, you know, it takes control of the situation. And then all of a sudden you're going against your value. And then you feel like you blew it. And then you can see how this can start to, to just go into this negative spiral. So the quicker that we can be aware of what these primary emotions are and then kind of give a little heads up and be, be aware of or try to stay away from at times these secondary emotions, again, more, the more you can stay in that present moment. 
So before I get into this article that I want to talk about more about today, um, let me throw out my plug for acceptance and commitment therapy. And today I'm going to refer to it as ACT or ACT. And I want to throw out a couple of ACT keys or core principles that I've talked about recently on an episode called A Liberated Mind. And I highly encourage you to go look that one up. Uh, it's one, I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt so passionate about one. Oh, and, and um, sorry, let me first take a quick break. I'll, I'll do this very quickly. And let me talk to you about my podcast host, Blueberry. So if you're currently hosting a podcast elsewhere, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, I want you to consider using Blueberry Podcasting as your hosting platform. Blueberry Podcasting has been in business since 2005, and they currently host, or they have a a hand in over 80,000 podcasts. Over 80,000 podcasts use some or all of Blueberry's podcasting services. So they truly are one of the most trusted names in the podcasting space. And they offer five-day phone support with actual real people. I've actually tested that out before. And the only podcasting company that offers uh, phone support every day of the week uh, our phone support five days a week, and they have email support every day of the week, and they get back to you incredibly quickly. And for those of you currently hosting your podcast elsewhere, and I can honestly say that I used two other hosting companies before Blueberry, but the larger the virtual couch got, the more I realized I needed all of Blueberry's advanced features, like Blueberry customers can always replace an episode that's been published with a new one that has edits at no charge, and this has been something that has been incredible for me as I'm trying to slowly go back and re-edit and add things that I wasn't even aware that I needed early on in the podcast. Blueberry Podcasting makes every hosting customer a basic WordPress site if you need one, so you can have a website, a WordPress site, along with that. The Blueberry Way of Podcasting is where you own your brand, your IP, and you control the podcast feed. That's the reason why Blueberry Podcasters have the longest live shows in the podcasting space. And all Blueberry hosting plans come with a 25% no-fault overage for storage allowances, and that is a big deal if your podcast all of a sudden gets kind of big or blows up. Um, those no-fault storage overages or storage allowances help so much. And all independent podcast hosts receive unlimited bandwidth with uh, each of their flat rate plans. And Blueberry has pro hosting options for commercial shows with an incredible offering of basic ad injections. And they have access to their network plugin, this uh, WordPress plugin with all their pro plans, which is just an incredible plugin, which makes posting your, your podcast all over the interwebs incredibly easy. If you need editing services, Blueberry Pro, BlueberryPro.com is their, their independent partners. They're all there for you. And Blueberry Podcasting is designed to scale as you grow from one to 500 shows on the same podcasting platform. So right now, you can get 30 days of Blueberry Podcasting for free. That includes hosting and stats and a WordPress website if you need one. And publishing is truly as simple as create and upload and publish. So use the promo code BLU014 to get started today. Again, that's promo code BLU014. Get started today and get 30 days of Blueberry Blueberry Podcasting for free. Again, that is hosting and stats and a WordPress website if you need one. So go check that out, blubrry.com, blueberry.com, and use code BLU014 to get started today. All right, back to the show. So let me dive back into where I left off. The book, A Liberated Mind, which is just an incredible acceptance and commitment therapy book by one of, well, the founder of acceptance and commitment therapy, Stephen Hayes. And so where I left off was talking a little bit more about the concept of being present. But before I even get into that, I want to talk more about something that I think is very important to be aware of before we dig into these primary and secondary emotions even even further. And that is this concept of values. So I gave the example before the break of if, let's just say, your teenage daughter comes down and is wearing something that you feel is inappropriate. Um, again, you feel that that way, that for some reason that that speaks that she is now doing something to harm you or is going against something that you've taught them or you know that that makes you a lesser parent, whatever that might be. So in a liberated mind, there's these six core principles of acceptance and commitment therapy. And Dr. Hayes, in one of them, lays out this concept of values. And, and he talks about values, really, really tapping into your values, requires you pivoting from socially compliant goals to chosen values. And so let me, let me kind of explain what that looks like. He said that people often attempt to achieve goals because they feel that they have to. Otherwise, people that we care about or whose views we care about would be displeased or they will be disappointed in themselves. So oftentimes, if, if we're tapping into this value of being a loving parent, and we have decided that we are going to choose on the side of love instead of on someone else's rules, or even rules that we might uh, really feel like are good rules, but again, we're going to tap into this value of just being a loving parent, if that is going to guide our actions. So if we then set up these goals, or we you know that... Uh, 
our kids need to, whatever it is, they need to go to this certain school. They need to get these certain grades. They need to do these certain things, um, in their, you know, whatever their religious community, whatever it is. And we set that as the goal. Then oftentimes we, we just kind of feel like we're not really being genuine or we're not being true or, or something just feels off in our relationships. And Dr. Hayes, I think he nails it with this point. He says, again, people often attempt to achieve goals because they feel that they have to. Otherwise, people we care about or whose views we care about would be displeased or they will be disappointed in themselves. Here's the key. Research shows that such, and he calls them socially compliant goals, give rise to motivation that is weak and ineffective. We may try to drive our own behavior with such external goals, but we also secretly resent them because they undermine our own process of unfolding. And I love that concept of we, we can set these socially compliant goals, things that we feel that someone else has told us would be a good idea or something that, you know, we feel like if we don't do that others will be disappointed into us in, in us. But secretly we resent these goals because they undermine our own process of unfolding. He says the yearning for self-direction and purpose cannot be fully met by goal achievement since it's always either in the future, meaning I haven't yet met my goal, or in the past, meaning, well, I met that goal. And almost that, like, well, now what? So he talks about values and he says values are chosen qualities of being and doing, such as being a caring parent, being a dependable friend, being socially aware, or being loyal, or being honest, or being courageous. So living in accordance with our values is never finished. It's a lifelong journey and it provides a way to create enduring sources of motivation based on meaning. Because he says that ultimately what your values are is up to you and they're a matter between you and the person in the mirror. And so your value, if your value truly is being a loving parent, being a supportive person, um, you know, if you value reciprocity in a relationship, whatever those values are, those are between you and the person in the mirror. And so when other people tell you, well, no, here's what you should be doing, or here's how you should be feeling, and remembering that no one likes to be shut on, then that's why we, and I just, that's why I love the way he expressed that. Because if, if you're not living according to one of your individual values, then it is going to feel like a socially compliant goal. Like I'm doing this because someone else told me I need to, and someone else told me I should care about these things. And the research shows that that trying to follow these socially compliant goals gives rise to motivation that's weak and ineffective. And all of these start to point back to the what's wrong with me story that we start talking about, you know, we start telling ourselves in our brain. And once we're off on that path, in comes our old friends like anxiety, depression, um, even things like OCD coming in there to, to have it to create, you know, to try to have some control over situations. So when we're not living by our own internal values, and again, our own internal values are between you and the person in the mirror. And the reason that is so key is because the things that are important to you come as part of this big package of we call private experiences. It's your nature and your nurture and your birth order and your DNA and your abandonment and your rejection and your experiences growing up and people moving and people dying and, and people dealing with their own stuff and how that affects you. So all of those things make you uniquely the person that you are, which then leads to you having the feelings and emotions that you have. And guess what? So if you didn't think and feel the way you did, then that's when I kind of sometimes say you're a robot or a psychopath. And I'm not saying anybody's a robot or a psychopath, but I'm saying that you have feelings and emotions because you're human. And that's what I absolutely love about acceptance and commitment therapy. And, and so the other thing that, he, that Dr. Hayes talks about, let me go into two more, and then I'm going to get back to these primary and secondary emotions, I promise. Um, this, I, want, I want to kind of frame it with this acceptance. So Dr. Hayes says acceptance requires pivoting from what he calls experiential avoidance to acceptance. And this redirects this yearning to just kind of feel. And what does that mean? Experiential avoidance is this process by which we run from or attempt to control our personal experiences, meaning our thoughts or our feelings or our sensations. And we try to control the external events that give rise to these feelings, all the way from going to a party or trying to cope with the death of a loved one. And we do this because our mind tells us that it's an easy way to avoid pain and that we'll be able to feel freely only when we feel good. So this is, we're going to tap into this with these primary and secondary emotions, because being able to tap into those primary emotions, you know, that is the opposite of this experiential avoidance. That is us not feeling like we have to escape to a time that will be better to deal with our emotions, because we, we, we rarely kind of find that time. We end up creating a lot of these experiential avoidance patterns, you know, a lot of these distractions, those sort of things. So Dr. Hayes says, avoidance typically only compounds our difficulties and restricts our capacity to feel at all. He said acceptance 
is the full embrace of our personal experience and an empowered, and here's the big key, not in a victimized state. A little heads up to a podcast that I'm going to be talking about, or I'm going to be releasing, I believe, next week, where I went and interviewed uh, Dr. Shelley Hoover, who is just an amazing woman. She just wrote a book called Timeless Sisters, which is an amazing book. It truly is. I, I read the whole thing. I made it sound like, I read a book, you know, yay me. But, uh, but it really was an incredible book. And Dr. Hoover was a principal at my kid's middle school. She injected just this incredible enthusiasm into the middle school. And then she, over the course of the next year or so, was diagnosed with ALS and uh, was given anywhere from, you know, I don't know, a year to 18 months to live. And she's on year six now um, since that diagnosis and just came out with this book. And uh, she and I had an amazing conversation that I recorded yesterday. I can't wait to share it with you. And I believe even after the mics had stopped um, recording, we talked a lot about her just saying that, you know, she refuses to live in this victim role, in a victimized state, even though now she is um, confined to a wheelchair. But so, and so that we, I talked to her about this acceptance piece, you know, acceptance, the full embrace of her personal experience and an empowered, not in a victimized state. It's choosing to feel with openness and curiosity so that you can live the kind of life that you want to live while inviting your feelings to come along for a ride. As a result of the acceptance pivot, Dr. Hayes says, the focus moves from feeling good to feeling good and, and just being able to have all those feels. Dr. Hoover talked about how you know she still has days where she can be very sad and, and just get really upset, and it's okay to have those emotions, and she'll even lean into those a little bit, have a good, uh, a good cry, but then she moves forward. You know, she said she refuses to be in this victim mentality. So I can't wait to share that one with you. But that's that concept of acceptance. One more thing, and then we'll get back to these primary and secondary emotions. Dr. Hayes talks about presence, being present. What does that mean? We hear those things all the time. It's, again, kind of a buzzword of just being present, being in the moment, being in the now. Presence requires, he says, pivoting from rigid attention driven by past and the future to flexible attention in the now. He said it redirects this whole yearning for orientation. What does that mean? Processes of rigid attention show up as either ruminating about the past or worrying about the future or mindlessly disappearing into our current experience, he says, the way teenagers disappear into video games. So as we struggle with life's challenges, we often fear becoming lost. So, and this makes so much sense to me, we tend to look to the past and the future to become oriented. Again, it's a normal thing to do. When we look at the past, we, we often say, okay, but I did these things in the past. You know, almost saying, what about that? And, uh, or we say, but if I, you know, if I do something wrong or if I, uh, this might lead to this future outcome. So we, we stay constantly in this, uh oh, what if I, what if I am doing something that will affect me in the future or we'll look at these things I did in the past? And both of those things that they keep us, what he says is in a mental fog of what was or what will be. And again, I want to say, I always say noted, but but noted. I mean, the future, it, it, yeah, absolutely could turn out that way. And the past, you bet, it could have uh, these things that I did. Um, I did those in the past, and, and they had certain uh, experiences that uh, became of those events I did in the past. Noted, absolutely, that that happened. All right, now what are we going to do, though? You know, the, it's it's keeping us either stuck ruminating about the past or stuck worrying about the future, where then what Dr. Hayes says is, um, when there is really only what is, meaning there really is only what is right now in the present. So he said, flexible attention in the now or being present means choosing to pay attention to experiences here and now, and here's the key, that are helpful or meaningful. And if they're not, then choosing to move on to other useful events in the now rather than being caught in mindless attraction or revulsion. And a big key to this, a huge key to this again, is we're not just saying just change your thought in the moment. Because that is one of the things that acceptance and commitment therapy that I absolutely love about it. And there are a lot of people out there that have so much good, uh, good intentions, goodwill that are saying, you know, you just got to change that thought. You just got to change that thought and be happy. And again, I am the ultimate optimist. I, I really am. But what that sets us up for that can be a little bit, a little bit tricky at times is we may wake up in the morning and we say, all right, you know what? I am, today is it. I'm choosing to be happy. I'm going to be happy all day. That is a wonderful goal. And I, and I often, I do that every day as well. But then we have experiences. Life happens and we have emotions and feelings that go along with life. And what will happen is we can wake up in the morning. We're like, I've got this. I'm feeling like a million bucks. And then something happens. And, and honestly, it could be even uh, dog pooping on carpet. It can be getting a bill that I didn't know about. It can be 
um, finding out about a illness, a terminal illness of a loved one. It can be finding out about um, failing a class or any of those things. And when those things happen, you can see where I may be headed here, is that then we feel. Now all of a sudden we feel sad or we feel angry or we feel mad. And then we say, man, I, I was going to be happy all day. You know, so what's wrong with me? Because now I'm, I'm not able to just kind of think happy thoughts. Well, here's the key. Nothing's wrong with you. Because you are a human being who has had all of these experiences in life that lead you to that moment. So you're going to have the emotion. And that's where, that's where we're kind of back to today. You're going to have a primary emotion. That primary emotion is going to be your reaction. Perfectly normal, perfectly human. What typically comes after that is a secondary emotion. And that secondary emotion can just sabotage us for the day. So we can choose to be happy and we can be on it. We can be on it up till 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's been the most incredible day. And then a kid comes home and says that, I don't know, he's got chicken pox or a daughter comes home, she's got lice or, you know, um, anything or failed to fail to test or wrecked the, the car. And then all of a sudden we feel, what do we feel? We feel, maybe we feel angry. Maybe we feel sad. Maybe we feel disappointed. Primary emotions, right? So we feel those. It's okay. It's okay to feel them. We're human. Then secondary emotion comes in. Secondary emotion can be anger. Secondary emotion can be uh, frustration. Secondary emotion can then take hold of that primary emotion and then run with it. So now all of a sudden we're just so angry about everything because we feel like, you know, we don't have control or this sort of thing. So that's where I want us to learn how to tap into that primary emotion. You know, person comes home and says, I wrecked the car. I mean, I've actually had that one, you know, and, uh, and being able to immediately, okay, I noticed that I'm feeling angry. Um, that's okay. I'm human. And, and being able to recognize that often is enough to just say, okay, I see you anger and I'm going to just kind of set you aside right here because I need to be present for my kid. I need to ask them, are they okay? You know, was everyone safe? How are you feeling? You know, are you traumatized? Do you want to talk about it? Because if that first primary emotion hits and it's anger and then all of a sudden, you know, the secondary emotion hits of, I don't know, embarrassment because I'm a horrible parent because of the way I reacted, then all of a sudden I'm going to withdraw or maybe anger is going to amplify and so then we're going to actually stay away from that present moment of talking about, are you okay to my kid? You know, is everyone okay? What happened? Tell me more. Here comes some empathy skills. So let's get back to the primary and secondary emotions. I haven't even gotten to the article yet. I promise you this is good. We'll try to get through this quickly. There's a wonderful article on betterhelp.com. And, uh, you know, if you've heard the podcast that, uh, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch is, um, they're one of my advertisers. And if you go betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, I think you, you know, I know you get 10% off a month of their counseling services and they're amazing. But there's an article by, um, a writer named Nadia Khan and the reviewer was Patricia Corlo, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, much like myself. And this is an article on primary and secondary emotions. So I'm going to, I'm going to read a fair amount from this and then comment as well. So, um, the author, again, uh, Nadia, we'll just refer to Nadia Khan as Nadia. Uh, Nadia said, being able to feel emotions is part of what makes us human. And many people struggle to understand their emotions and the things that cause us to feel so deeply. Emotionally, we often experience a huge range of different things in response to any situation. If you're depressed, it's a common misconception that all you feel is sad, when in fact, it's likely that you feel many things like lonely, invisible, unimportant, hopeless, and more. And she says, the reason many of us struggle to identify our emotions properly is that they are gone as fast as they appear. And, and I just love this phrase, um, those emotions. The reason why many of us struggle to identify our emotions properly is that they're gone as fast as they appear. We're constantly experiencing new things, which means our emotions are rarely static, which complicates being able to identify what is going on with our emotions. As I tried to kind of set the table with leading up to this point, being able to identify the emotion is part of what will allow us to notice, make room for the emotion, lean into the emotion if we want, but also be able to keep us present in the moment, which then allows us to kind of tap more into these values that we want to live by, which then allow us to feel like we're more connected. And you see how this is all kind of coming together? So uh, she talks about emotions in general. She says, what are emotions? And uh, it's always kind of fun if you want the GWIS file here. Emotions come from the Latin term emover, which I'm sure I did not say that uh, very fancy in Latin, but it means moving. So emotions come from this term that means moving. So the term is a combination of energy and motion. It's an expression of how life is constantly in flowing motion. She said that emotions are something we constantly feel and can happen when actions or feelings stir a certain response with us. She was on to say we may feel emotions from a situation or an experience or from memories, right? 
We can have a, we can have emotions that have tapped into memories, and they assist us in understanding the things we're experiencing and to express the way that those things make us feel, whether they are good, whether they're bad. And she said that sometimes, in the case of trauma, emotions can get stuck or blocked off, so that when we experience them again, we can't even really process them uh, or react to them properly. Positive emotions are meant to reinforce an experience as enjoyable so that we seek it out again. And they activate the reward system within the brain, which makes us feel safe. Negative emotions, on the other hand, they'll warn us of potentially dangerous situations. And they'll raise these survival instincts within us, these fight-or-flight drugs, these fight-or-flight-or-freeze chemicals, so that we become much more aware. In a way, our emotions have evolved to help us survive in a more cerebral society than that of in our distant ancestors. But the reactions are still a lot the same. So, and there's some really interesting uh, data that she's collected, and, and I'll, I'll skip through this part for it pretty quickly. But uh, according to uh, Humane, which is an organization, I believe, there are 48 recognized emotions proposed in an emotional annotation and representation language. Internationally, though, they, uh, they have identified 128 recognized emotions, including many that have no name in English. And I love that. I love that concept. Most psychologists agree with this, with the option to classify them further. But the primary, secondary, and they also say tertiary approach was originally described in 1987 in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology as a tree shape, starting with the self and with primary and secondary and tertiary emotions extending like branches from the trunk of this personality. Uh, This was the next step from um, a a person named uh, Pluchik's Wheel of Emotions. And I remember learning about this in grad school. The wheel, it's a much easier design for clients to understand because it also uses colors to classify both positive and negative emotions, as well as making it easier to identify opposing emotions. Um, This emotion wheel was also beneficial because it was easier to identify the different intensities from a single emotion and the relationship between one emotion and another And I remember even dealing with uh, when I worked for the Child Abuse Prevention Council when I was doing my practicum in grad school that we often had the, hey, point to this emotion, emotional chart or an emotional wheel, because a lot of times kids aren't really sure what their emotions are, but they can identify these faces or uh, anger, color, that sort of thing. It was pretty amazing. And in 2012, in 2012, a research piece based on uh, Pluchik's petals um, determined that perhaps psychologists were too broad in their definition of an emotions. So analysis of 42 facial muscles, look at the science behind this, trying to figure out emotions. Analysis of 42 facial muscles used to create emotional responses was only able to create four basic emotions. Every other one was either too similar or it was like a sub-emotion or of one of those four. For example, the facial reaction to surprise and that of fear were similar, if you ever think about that. So, though this could also be because the wide-eyed look is a survival instinct to increase visual attention, essential in most situations that elicit fear or surprise. So, imagine, uh, and then this is part of the article again, Nadia says, imagine something has happened, anything, and suddenly you're feeling an emotion. It's strong. It's the first reaction to what has happened. That is a primary emotion. Primary emotions are the body's first response, and they're usually very easy to identify because they are so strong. And and here's those four that she talked about earlier that researchers identified. The most common primary emotions are fear, happiness, sadness, and anger. So she said these also might be secondary emotions um, given different situations. But when we first react, it's usually with one of the above, fear, happiness, sadness, or anger. If the phone rang and somebody started yelling at you for no reason, you'd probably feel angry or afraid. Or if the phone rang and somebody told you that your dog had died, you would feel sad. There does not have to be a huge stimulus to elicit a primary emotion. Primary emotions are adaptive because they make us react a certain way without being contaminated or examined. They're very much an instinctual primary or primal survival response. So she goes on to talk a little bit more about primary emotions. She says that primary emotions are more transient than secondary emotions, which is why they are less complicated and easier to understand. And what does that mean? It means that those primary emotions are these reactions. They're just things that that happen. They're they're ways that we emote, things that we immediately express. Uh, She said the first thing we feel is directly connected to the event or stimulus. But as time passes, we struggle to connect the same emotion with the event because our emotions have changed. So here's where secondary emotions come in. She says, secondary emotions are much more complex because they often refer to the feelings you have about the primary emotion. And this is what's fascinating. These secondary emotions are learned emotions that we typically get from our parents or our primary caregivers, or I'll add into there, from society as we grow up. For example, when you feel angry, you may feel ashamed afterward. Or when you feel joy, you may feel relief or pride. And... To Nadia's credit, she quotes Yoda from Star Wars, coming up here next. 
She said, in Star Wars, Master Yoda explains secondary emotions perfectly. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I mean, that's it right there, right? Your primary emotion can be fear, and then fear leads to anger. Anger is kind of this cover-up. Well, you know, I wasn't scared and get mad. And then anger leads to hate. Like, I, man, I, I, I hate the fact that these guys are assuming that I'm angry because of this fear response. And then hate leads to suffering. Secondary emotions can also be divided into instrumental emotions. This is kind of fascinating, too. These are unconscious and habitual. Instrumental emotions. Maybe you can even take a guess right now where we're going next. We learn instrumental emotions as children, as a form of conditioning. When we cry, here comes an instrument, right? When we cry, a parent comes to soothe us. So we learn to use facial expressions and the responses associated with crying when we need that soothing or sense of security. Many toddlers are very adept at using instrumental emotions to get their way with anger. Um, She says that a toddler throws a tantrum and parents give in to make them quiet. As we get older, we learn that this behavior is not appropriate. Or if not, we become spoiled and manipulative. By not learning the correct secondary emotional response, it leaves the person distant and emotionally detached from those around them. So, how do you tell the difference? She goes on to say that aside from secondary emotions being harder to name, there are several ways to determine whether you are feeling a primary emotion or a secondary one. Firstly, ask yourself if the, the emotion is directly a reaction or not. If it is a direct connection, then it's a primary emotion. If the emotion came on strongly, but that feeling has begun to fade, then it's also likely a primary emotion. If the opposite is true, it's more likely to be a secondary emotional reaction. Uh, Nadia said if the emotion lingers long after the event has happened or even affects new but similar or connected events, then it's likely to be a secondary emotion. If the emotion is complex, it's almost always secondary. There is such a thing as tertiary emotions, but as elusive as secondary emotions are, tertiary emotions are even harder to pin down. So for children and even some adults, she goes on to say, uh, those who struggle to identify their emotions, one of the easiest ways to differentiate between primary and secondary emotions is to use flashcards. And a flashcard can have several feelings on one side. Example, on one side, it can have rage or envy or irritation. And whether they are primary or secondary responses on the back, the person must guess or make an informed decision about whether the feelings and emotions are primary or secondary to identify which primary emotion they belong to. So what use are primary and secondary emotions? Um, And here's where we'll kind of bring it all home. Primary and secondary emotions tell a person a lot about their emotional stability and their integrity. Um, But she goes on to say to a healthcare professional, and I will validate this, uh, they can make a diagnosis much easier. Rather than blindly accepting an emotion, when somebody's like, I'm just mad, you know, I'm mad all the time, I'm really angry or I'm very sad, Um, being able to understand where it comes from and the actions that led up to that emotion can act as a path to trace back to prior abuse or traumatic events that have left emotional scars. So let me just talk about some of the pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior. When I work with a lot of people that are struggling with that, a lot of times that primary emotion really is, it's sadness. Um, And then the the primary emotion is sad. You know, maybe after a relapse, like, man, what is wrong with me? You know, I, I hear that one often. But then what typically follows is that secondary emotion of it, it is, it can be anger, you know, and it's, I'm, I'm so sick of, uh, you know, this person um, who keeps telling me that they're shaming me or my partner who's saying this or whatever. So there's an example of where, you know, I want them to tap into that primary emotion and stay with that primary emotion. That primary emotion can be about sadness. Why? What, why are they sad? Sad because they aren't living the life that they had always anticipated or sad because they, they feel like they have control in other areas of their life. But in this one, they, they, they just feel so sad that they keep going back to these problem behaviors. So you can see how then if we can sit with that primary emotion, then we can start to work on the, okay, then let's, let's kind of tap into how we, how we work with that sadness. Not the, you know, the anger is the, hey, it's not my fault. I'm, I'm projecting. Um, the anger kind of creates sometimes more of a victim mentality. So, and, and again, maybe you can plug that into all kinds of situations that you're dealing with. So if you can learn to tap into that primary emotion, that's when we can do the good work. The secondary emotions come sometimes as more of a, an attempt to gain control or attempt to deflect, you know, those sort of things. So, and, and back to this uh, article, um, Nadia kind of exactly says where I was trying to go right there. Finding the real cause behind a person's reaction means examining the primary emotion, while the secondary emotion will help to understand how the patient processes information. Also, by slowing down the thought process and consciously working through the internal reasons why somebody feels a certain way, 
They're likely to understand more about themselves through a process that would have been entirely unconscious until now. It's like once you can tap into what those primary emotions are and stay with those primary emotions, then you can see that, okay, they are possibly going against my internal values. Um, They're possibly happening because I'm trying to achieve a socially compliant goal and not a value-based goal. So she says another reason for identifying emotion is important is to be able to react to them properly. For someone who struggles with handling emotions or reacting appropriately, being unable to express themselves can be frustrating. So this in turn leads to anger and at times even rage. So in conclusion, uh, Nadia says that everybody experiences primary and secondary emotions. If you're finding it hard to differentiate your feelings or if you're feeling emotionally detached, then getting help doing so is essential to living a fully connected life. There that is, connected life, being present. Experienced mental health professionals like uh, the, like myself, therapists at BetterHelp, they're there to help you. All you have to do is reach out. And I'll give you a, a, just a silly example maybe to wrap this up. But I do remember, and I didn't associate these things together, but I remember... Um, I mean, if you've heard the podcast at all, there, there's, I mean, no one I love more than my wife. I mean, she's one of the, the greatest people I know. Over the weekend, I really had this awareness that, you know, I'm, I'm literally married to the nicest person I think I've ever met, which is just, uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, but, but she, if I do something, if I, I don't know, if I run into a pole or nothing, I'm doing that all the time, or I fall down or something like that, man, her immediate reaction is just laughter. I mean, and I could have broken my leg or whatever, and she's going to laugh. And so, you know, I, I, back in the day, I used to kind of be hurt that it was like, wait a minute, you know, my primary uh, response or my primary um, emotion would have been anger when that happened because it's like, because I just hurt myself. I'm angry, you know, that, that hurts. And then I would often have a secondary emotion. Now I recognize come up as embarrassment. And then that embarrassment would lead to me being angry. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're, you're laughing at me when that just happened. And you know, but I know that her response is, I mean, because it's funny, I just fell down. I mean, uh, when we were newly married, we were chasing each other around a, a room, kind of having fun. And I wrapped my toe around, I forget what it even was, and, and just broke my toe. And I pulled my sock off and my toes pointing the entire other way. And I remember I was, I was angry. She was laughing her head off. It was funny. I wish I could go back and see it again. But so I remember that as I started doing more of a mindfulness practice, uh, again, I love this Headspace app, and I'm doing more of that, and I'm, and I'm tapping more into the present moment. I remember one of the, and again, I didn't re- recognize this part until afterward, but I now know that one of the benefits of a mindfulness practice, of being able to just stay in the moment and be present, was how quickly I would fall or whatever it would be and then see her laughing and how quickly that anger that I would have would subside and then I'm present. And in that present moment, it's very funny and there's nothing funnier than watching my wife laugh so hard that she can't breathe. So at that point, then I'm in that moment too. And, and it's almost like I might be in pain, but man, we're laughing and it's, and it's a funny experience. And I bring that up because I've noticed that um, you know earlier we talked about a primary emotion sometimes of uh, you know if, that fear response. You know if one of my kids scares me, um, I'm scared. That is that's what happens. I that I'm a human, and I know that oftentimes parents want to respond with anger because they feel like they don't have control in that situation. But boy, tap into that moment and then just laugh with your kids, and there is nothing better than that. You know, uh, I'm surprised. Have you ever seen a picture of me? I have no hair. I'm bald. I used to care a fair amount about that. And so, you know, if someone would make a joke, especially one of my kids or that sort of thing, you know, there would be that immediate, that primary, that primary emotion, sometimes again, of, of anger. Um, and, and then the secondary emotion would come out as, uh, you know, I don't know, embarrassment or whatever. But now it's like, all right, noted, you know, it used to make me, I don't know, angry or whatever. It wasn't like I chose to not have any hair or that sort of thing. But then it was like, okay, that moves through so quickly. It's just this, it's just this response that comes out of just this almost like visceral response and then tapping into my value of being present and tapping into my value of being a, in the moment, being a fun person, being kind, you know? Uh, and then it, some then I learned to enjoy a lot of the jokes that people would make or, um, just really be present in that moment. So again, primary emotions are these responses. They're going to happen. But the more that you learn to recognize them and deal with them, the more you're able to kind of recognize it and then just go and be present and tap into one of your values, the more you're just going to be able to just enjoy experiences and be in the moment, be present, be more kind, more loving, be more connected. And that is the way to a truly more enjoyable, more fulfilling life. Again, that life comes with all the ups and downs, bumps and bruises, emotional highs and lows, but recognizing that those, again, are just primary 
emotions. And then when you can tap into that and, and be weary or watch out for those secondary emotions, you can stay present and just have a more amazing, present, connected life. All right, I could go on and on and on, but uh, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for joining me here on the virtual couch. And until next time, um, I haven't really given this one a lot of credit lately, but man, I still love going out with Aurora Florence's. It's wonderful. So we'll take you out with that. All right, have a great week, everybody. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most Strengths and power.